Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 363. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Kevin Rickstraw. Hey, Kevin. Hi. This week on the show, we'll be taking a look at Jeff Barnaby's Blood Quantum. Uh, we'll also be going over some more watching on the watch list and new releases on VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That would be super helpful. Uh, a couple quick housekeeping bits. Uh, there will be a new Ryan Watches a Movie this week. We're on a roll. We're on a roll with this. Hey, you can't be stopped. Ryan is firing on all cylinders, and this week we had him watch a movie that he absolutely loved. So He adored it. Stay tuned for that. There is a new Save by the 90s out now, so the April edition is out. We talk about dark comedies, including Serial Mom, Sonatine. We talk about Election. We talk about the movie Go from Doug Lyman. Go. Yeah, do you remember that? Yeah. It's bad. This this episode is releasing a couple hours after we normally post the episode. Normally, I post it around 8.30 in the morning on Mondays. This is coming out at noon because the movie we're going to be talking about is under embargo until noon on Monday. So apologies for the, the, the slight delay in releasing it. Well, we're talking about Blood Quantum. Now, the reason that this was uh, under an embargo is because it surprise dropped on, or it, it is dropping on Shutter on Tuesday. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, this is written and directed by Jeff Barnaby. I have a synopsis here. The dead are coming back to life outside the isolated Micmac Reserve of Red Crow, except for its indigenous inhabitants who are strangely immune to the zombie plague. Now, we had Jeff Barnaby on the podcast, actually, years ago, when he was... Years. Yeah, it was years ago. This was when he was promoting his his first feature, Rhymes for Young Ghouls, which you and I were... We didn't love it, I don't think, but I think that we no. saw... We, I think we I saw... I think we were all on board. Yeah, we liked it. Didn't love it. We saw a lot of promise there, and we got we got ridiculed mercilessly for our discussion about... Rhymes for Young Ghouls on the podcast. I don't know if you remember this, but oh yeah, no, I remember. <laughs> no, it was it was it was, uh, it was embarrassing on our end. It it was. This firmly entrenched ignorance on our end. I, I mean, here here's the thing: we talk about a lot of movies. We talk about a lot of topics. When you talk about movies, you're essentially talking about everything. It's it's not just like the technical aspects, but it's the content held within, and sometimes. You talk about a movie that has a type of history behind it that you're not entirely familiar with. So from t- from time to time, you may be struggling to talk about things that you aren't incredibly well versed in. And when we were discussing Rhymes for Young Ghouls, we were talking about the native peoples of Canada. And we didn't know a whole lot about that. And I think we we weren't trying to be experts on the subject. And uh, because of our ignorance with that topic, we just got raked over the coals. And as a result, we wanted to have Jeff Barnaby on on the show and discuss it with him. And it was, it was really great. It was a really great conversation, if I remember correctly. This was what seven years ago. <laughs> That's so old. Good lord, seven years ago. Yeah, can you believe that? What the fuck? What the fuck are we doing? Yep. So anyway, seven years later, he he is back with his follow-up blood quantum and 
much like rhymes for young ghouls it is this is a genre this is a genre film that has a very overt subtext to it as i said in the synopsis you're dealing with a, a zombie outbreak where all of the indigenous people are immune kevin what were your initial impressions on blood quantum first off i want to say i mean how many zombie movies have we seen over the years in our in our lifetimes probably hundreds because i used to before before film pulse i actually ran a website about zombies so yes there's a lot of zombie movies right and pretty much all zombie movies have the 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 setup right where it's essentially where they discover the zombie outbreak you know there's not a whole lot of movies that just start within the zombie outbreak usually you know a little bit of questioning what's going on, what's happening, you know, some some confusion and everything. And I gotta say that Blood Quantum does it differently and does it really, really well. Like this is the opening to this gets you really hooked because I wasn't expecting, you know, you're thinking zombies. I'm thinking, you know, zombie hordes either running or just staggering, you know, flesh falling off their faces and stuff. But it's just a nice little subtle, like, to give you an idea that this is happening and it affects more than just the people in the area in the world and i just love the way that they they reacted to it as well and it kind of just you know establishes it and then it gets into it pretty quickly and then it kind of jumps the head and you like you're now firmly entrenched in this zombie apocalypse or whatever outbreak that initial before it jumps the six months i just i loved all of that yeah i thought it was really i thought that was really cool too i like that they did that i like that they showed us the the onset like the beginning of the outbreak and then jumped forward to like after they've been in it for a little while i liked the that opening scene with the guy fishing and all he's like <laughs> gutting the fish and then all of a sudden all yeah. the fish start coming back to life. Like that scene was just awesome. I thought, I think that that, that opening sequence really, it showcased early on, like what you're going to be in for as far as the special effects, which I, for me and, and maybe I'm jumping ahead, but for me, the special effects were definitely a highlight of this. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm not expecting for gutted fish to start flopping around. And when it does happen, you're just like, oh, shit, how'd they do that? That looks fantastic. But it's also a nice, subtle way of showing how this how this is going to affect them. It's not just going to be like, oh, they have to stay away from zombies and not get bit like every single zombie movie ever. It's like a lot of the food supply is affected that they can't eat. Dogs would get infected, but like deer wouldn't get infected so it it kind of depend like some some animals did some animals didn't and i i like that i li- I just like the, the idea that they're immune i mean that's that's really not something you see in too many zombie movies where there's a whole subset of people who are immune to the virus and how that yeah. how that affects them differently because what what happens is they people find out white people find out that they that they're immune on this reservation so they start migrating to the reservation looking for safety looking for sanctuary and the the way that they sort of represent that is that there's a bridge that's separating them so there's this there's this bridge that kind of separates the reservation from the rest of the the town and 
people are trying to get in and they and they're left with the tricky decision of okay do we give them sanctuary or do we say no screw you you're you're on your own and i think that that leads to a lot of um interesting conflicts within within the movie i don't know how much we want to get into specific plot things because this doesn't come out until tomorrow but it goes to some kind of interesting places with that conflict no and i think he does a really really good job of kind of utilizing this you know the the, like the subtext that you talked about earlier using the the, this zombie infection and kind of folding that into the subtext and everything i think to me it worked really really well and outside of that like if you're not even looking into that you know like the kind of the more cerebral aspects of this movie if you're just kind of looking at it face value zombie movie it's a pretty damn good zombie movie mm-hmm. like like you said the, the effects are i i was surprised numerous times throughout this movie where i was just whew, there there were oh boy. there were several moments where I, I actually made like audible noises during this which is something that happens pretty rarely like i know that a movie's gonna, is affecting me when i'm just like oh my god or like holy shit like something like that. <laughs> and and that, that happened more than once for me in this movie. There are a number of really shocking moments. And I think that the main reason for that is like, holy shit, the effects work is so good in this. Like I was genuinely impressed with the, a, lo- yeah. a lot of the effects work. Like it's, I think they, they do practical effects as much as they possibly can in this there's a lot of practical effects. I would say that the bulk of it is practical and it yeah. just looks so fucking good. I mean the dude, that scene when I, I don't think this, this isn't a spoiler because it's, there's no context to it or anything, but there's a scene when there's a zombie that, that sort of drops and is hanging by it's like an mm-hmm. entry like that. Just that whole scene. I'm just like, Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so there's there's some really great kind of uh, effects in this. I thought that looking at it from your standard zombie survival movie, I thought it was fine. I I didn't. I thought that it was better than most, but I don't think that it really did much as far as like an attempt to elevate the genre in any way. I thought that the most of the the set pieces and things that happened were fairly standard zombie movie tropes but that being said it is far better than a lot of the kind of you know straight to like 5g zombies or whatever is coming out well and i and i think that's where the 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 subtext comes in Mm -hmm. and it kind of you know bolsters that because yeah you can think of it that way but when you look into the like the the whole you know, the title itself, the blood quantum, which is, you know, the, the percentage of your, your heritage, you know, whether you're a quarter first nation or a half first nation, that type of thing. So it really comes down to like their survival is built into that title where it's after a certain point where that blood quantum number drops below, they're not, um, they're not immune mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. So essentially their whole survival is based on them trying to stay as pure as possible because that's the only way that they can survive this. Now they can still die. Well, like I do like the, you know, the, the, 
that one where they're kind of gearing up for this big fight and it kind of like their strategy comes down to who has the most meat on their bones. Yeah. Yeah. Has, like the best, <laughs> the best, who can be chomped on by zombies the most without dying. That's like, that's, that's like their main survival thing. And I also like that there was comedy in this too. There wasn't much, but there, I thought that the dialogue was quite good and, there were these those little moments like the one that you just mentioned that kind of lightened things up, get, gave it a little bit of levity, and I appreciated that. And I thought that most of the characters were pretty badass. Like there's there's a guy with a katana that's roaming around chopping zombies. There's ch- chainsaws, so there's a lot of really cool action in this as well. It's it's a lot bigger than I kind of expected. I thought it was going to be sort of more subdued. But there's some pretty big yeah. action moments in this, and that that kind of yeah. that kind of no, surprised me. Yeah, no, I I agree with you because I was kind of thinking the same thing. I thought it would be a little little more subdued, not not so much focused in on action. But I mean, for the most part, this is this is a pretty standard action film, mm-hmm. you know, and surprisingly so, and impressively so too. Like the action's good. There's good action in this movie. I think the action in this is far more satisfying than what they're showing on like the walking dead now as an example. And the, the other thing about this is, so you have your, your zombie survival, you have the, the fact that they are uh, a first nations tribe and you know, the, the white people, the white men are the ones who are getting infected and they're immune. But then you also have this sort of family drama in it. So it's sort of like a three pronged, approach to to the story where you have these brothers they're half brothers i think right Mm -hmm. and one of them is i don't even know how i would describe him unhinged i guess and he does yeah and he causes a lot of problems within his his family but also like just the community as a whole and so i feel like the I think I think Barnaby does a pretty good job of trying to balance these three prongs, but I, I feel like some sometimes these elements like take a backseat to one another, and I, I, I feel like I don't know may, maybe he could have focused on the family dynamic a little bit more and developed that a little bit more because some of the actions that they take, I'm just like I mean I get it, I understand it, but I felt like. We need to justify this a little bit more, especially what happens with Lysol. His name's Lysol and what he, the choice that he makes. Um, but I, I do kind of. He, he, yeah, he, get, he just gets, he gets pissed. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I understand like where they're coming from. I mean, he's, what he's essentially saying here is that the, that the white men took his manhood, right? So yeah, you have this this whole family drama aspect of it as well, and then uh, you have Michael Michael Gray Eyes as trailer. Now he may you may know him if you watch Fear the Walking Dead on AMC. I think he's on that show, so he's he's accustomed to the the whole zombie thing. You have uh, Ellie Maria Tailfeathers, who we just talked about her performance in uh, The Body Remembers when the world broke open from last year. Yeah. I wish she had a little bit. Yeah. I wish she had a little bit more. Yeah. Unfortunately, she doesn't have, I think quite enough to work with here because the, 
the scenes with her are fantastic, but yes, I, I could have used a little bit more of her. And then you have Forrest Goodluck as uh, one of the sons, Joseph, and then uh, Kiowa Gordon as Lysol. And I think that they all did a, a fine job. Yeah, I did. I especially like Michael Gray eyes. Uh, his character was great because he provides a lot of the, the levity, mm-hmm. especially in the beginning mm-hmm. of him just like trying to just kind of being utterly confused about what's going on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then the, the person, the, the guy that plays his dad, uh, Stone Horse Lone Goman, who's the, the, the essentially kind of like the, the lone samurai in the bunch. I mean, his character was just badass. There's no doubt. Just, I mean, just mowing down zombies with that sword. Very efficient Mm -hmm. with the sword. Oh, yeah. Crushed it. I will say that I thought that this looked quite good, too. It looks looks like, I mean, this is, I don't know what the budget is for this movie. It seems like it was probably a modest budget, but it looks, the, the production value is very high. This is something that I was kind of expecting because of rhymes for young ghouls and how great that that movie looked it it's set in the eighties, early eighties, but there's not, there's no like, you know, overt eighties pop culture references or anything like that. Like it's just, it just happens to be just the, yeah, it's just mostly vehicles. Yeah. Vehicles and just the lack of technology. I think like obviously no cell phones or anything like that. Yeah, I liked all the. I thought the cinematography was pretty, pretty good too. I agree. I mean, to me, it's got a great storyline, great depth to that storyline. The action's great. Uh, cinematography's good. The effects are. I mean, I think we're both kind of surprised to help. Well, the the effects are done here. The way they're accomplished. I mean, it, there's not a whole lot of you know negative knocks against this movie. Yep, I agree. And it's going to be on Shutter too, which is which is cool. I know that this played TIFF, I think. I think it premiered at TIFF last year and some other film festivals and now it's going to be on Shutter. Good get by Shutter. And I think it's even cooler that it's dropping Tuesday, which is really cool. Yeah. All right. Uh let's go ahead and give this a score. I think I'm sitting at around a 7 for Blood Quantum. I think I'm I'm like a 7 7 and a half. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, right now, if you don't have Shudder and you want to give this a look along with the pretty big library of other titles, and I'll, I'll be coming back to Shudder later in this episode, uh, there is a promo code SHUTIN, and I think that that will give you 30 days free. So nice. promo code SHUTIN on Shudder.com. Okay, let's go ahead and talk about someone we're watching. I believe it is your turn this week, Kevin. All right. I don't have a whole lot. And when I talk about this movie, you'll see why. So I watched uh, Until the End of the World from Wim Wenders. And so when this initially came out, this is his uh, kind of like a sci-fi road trip movie from 1991. So when it was released in 1991, I think it was uh, released in like a truncated like two and a half hour long cut right but on criterion channel because this came out on criterion on dvd or blu-ray but on criterion channel they have the the director's cut the full 287 minute 
film. Oof. The way he envisioned it from the outset, right? So this took up most of my time. This, this took uh, took quite a while to watch, to get through. And wow. Wowza. This movie is uh, pretty fucking incredible. I mean, it is... You want to talk about a road trip movie. This is... It takes place in 20 different cities, nine different countries, four different continents, right? So this is a sci-fi movie that takes place almost, I mean, they're, they're everywhere in this thing. And they're essentially the, the woman at the, the center, Sylvie Do Martin, who plays Claire, she's trying to track down William Hurt. And that's another thing about this movie. Got a great cast, tons of people in this movie. So William Hurt is on the run. He's got this, uh, this invention essentially that this kind of like a viewfinder that he's able to record people giving messages and whatnot. And then he's going to take it back to his mother and his father because his mother is blind. And this device will essentially let her be able to see for the first time in her life. So he's going around to all the, like the family and friends that she has all around the world and uh, recording messages that he's, you know, compiling all this stuff and then he's going to go back to her and then, you know, data dump all of these messages onto her. So most of the movie is uh, Claire tracking him all across the world, right? Which is, I thought, it's really phenomenal in terms of a sci-fi movie because usually with sci-fi movies, you have a very distinct location that the science fiction takes part in. You know, it's either a, a city, a, a little town, you know, if it's mm-hmm. a dystopian movie, you know, it's just a centralized location. That's it. But here it's like the entire world, right? So you get to see like the, the technological advances and how, you know, every country is dealing with this. And then on top of it is there's this worry that uh, an Indian satellite is going to crash land. And essentially, it's going to be like, it's going to wipe out civilization, almost like a, a precursor to Y2K, right? So you have that happening as well. They're kind of racing against the clock, and he's, you know, going to get picked up. Uh, her ex is played by Sam Neill, and he kind of joins the hunt, trying to track, help her track him, uh, William Hurt down. And so they end up getting to Australia with all the all the messages and everything. So you go on this long, extensive journey, right? It's about, you know, three and a half hours into the movie, they finally get to Australia. Everyone's there. Everyone's kind of on the same side now because the satellite has crashed. So they're all kind of like waiting out to see what happens. Um, they do the, the experiment, the procedure. And then it takes this very distinct, sharp detour where it completely changes after that because they realize they can utilize this information to then go in and extract dreams. So you can see your dreams, you know, you can record your dreams and then filter it through like the computer and turn it into imagery. And it gets kind of batshit crazy at that point. It just kind of completely devolves into this like nightmare cacophony of imagery and music. And it's just, it's something else. I can't recommend it enough. I mean, it's, and you know, for four plus hours, 
there's something always happening. They're always going somewhere. They're always somewhere new. A new element has been introduced. Like it's nonstop. Might have to take the plunge. Do this. Yeah, it's it's great. Do they have? Do they, do they just have the director's cut on Criterion, or do they have like the the? I think they just have the director's cut. That's it. I mean, that's the one I would watch anyway. I was just curious. Yeah, because I gotta say, I mean, obviously, uh, I think it cost them like twenty four million dollars to make this movie, and which is kind of insane to think of for a Wim Wenders movie. And like, once you watch it, the four plus hours, like it's inconceivable to me how in God's name you could cut that down into two and a half hours. Yeah, crazy. All right. Uh, That's until the end of the world. And that is available on the Criterion channel. Uh, I saw a couple Tribeca movies this week. Uh, Tribeca is they're. Uh, making some of their movies available for coverage. Uh, so I decided to check out two of them. The first one uh, is called 12 hour shift and it is directed by Bria Grant, who we actually had her on the show ages ago as well. When she was promoting her debut feature, which was like this sort of apocalyptic story of friendship. And that was back in 2013 also. So it's been seven years since she she uh, did a, uh, another feature. She did a bunch of short films and stuff since then. But uh, anyway, this is her sophomore feature, and uh, it takes place in a hospital in 1998, and it stars uh, Angela Bettis as a nurse who she's she's a drug addict, and she is the way that she supports her drug habit is by selling organs. So what she'll do is she actually will find patients in the hospital who are about to die and feed them bleach and kill them and take their organs, whatever is needed and sell them. And it is, uh, what happens is she ends up selling this kidney to her, her cousin who is like completely incompetent and, the cousin forgets to put the kidney in the cooler. And so when she takes it to the, to the buyer, there's no organ there. And it causes this big, uh, this big like mess where she goes back and then the, the organ dealers go back to try to find them. And everybody's running around this hospital and trying to find these organs and find these people. And it's, it's sort of a dark, comedic thriller it works on most levels uh angela bettis is really good in it and there's also this like side plot involving david arquette who plays a a murderer who was on death row and he attempted suicide so he's like a patient in the hospital as well and he breaks out so he's like roaming around the hospital too uh it was pretty good i have a full written review for this up on the site i don't know when this will be out but I would say keep keep a lookout for it um, because it is uh, it's worth a look. It's pretty entertaining. Again, that's called Twelve Hour Shift. Right. Do you want me to do my other uh, Tribeca ones since I have more to talk yeah, about? Yeah, really. Yeah, the really only other thing I did was I rewatched Blade Runner. Really, Blade Runner. Interesting. Which uh, pretty much feels the same way. Yeah, it's an okay movie. It's great. 
looking was this, everything else. Is, which you know, version did you watch? Uh, final cut. Okay. I think that's right. Yeah, I think I think that's the like generally the accepted like one. Yeah, it, that people recommend. And the only thing that was different this time around, and I think I did, I had this before, but it just really stood out to me this time was uh, Rutger Hauer's performance. I mean, he he kind of makes that movie outside of the production design and everything, obviously, but his performance in particular, just man, oh boy, he elevates it. Mm. All right. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, I've seen, I've seen Blade Runner, I think three times. The, f- the very first time I watched it was when I was a lot younger and it, that was just like the regular version. And then the other two times I watched the final cut version and I, like, I try to get into that movie because uh, like you said, I really love the aesthetic, but I just, I always yeah. come away feeling yeah. like a little meh about it. Yeah. I know that's like sacrilege, but I saw a movie called Socks on Fire. This is directed by Bo McGuire, and it's actually this sort of this docudrama. And what what it's about is uh, Bo McGuire comes from this small town in Alabama, and it's called Hoax Bluff. And he ends up going back home, and uh, because. The, his grandmother passes away and his aunt ends up taking their family home and like changing the locks and basically just deciding that all of that stuff is hers. And it causes a lot of turmoil within his family because uh, the, the his grandmother never wrote up a will and there was a lot of just cont- contention around who should have what, especially the house, because it turns out that his uncle didn't have anywhere to live. So he sort of didn't have a home and needed that to, to live in. And he decides to go back home and not only document this conflict, but also sort of document the, the people in his life and the, the women who helped, helped him, become the person that he is and the way that he does this is really interesting he mixes in vhs home movie footage with reenactments but he does the reenactments in this really stylistic sort of experimental way and it just it's so good like it it works so wonderfully he narrates it too and the the narration is is like so good it's this sort of i don't don't even know how to it's uh, lyrical i would say it's moving it's funny like the 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 one one thing about his aunt is his aunt is kind of homophobic and he so what he does is he casts a a gay man to play his aunt and so there's this there's a certain level of comedy to it as well visually it looks awesome the music is really good in it too um, and I, I was just really surprised with just how, how kind of incredible this documentary is. And so I, I would definitely recommend checking out socks on fire whenever it, uh, comes out, hopefully at some point this year, it almost reminded me of like an Alma Harrell, you know, Bombay beach love true style where yeah. there is this sort of theatrical element to the documentary where he, you know, hire, he hires these actors 
But then like in the movie, you see him giving direction to the actors and it sort of seamlessly transitions from like real footage to the reenactment footage. And it, he, he jumps back and forward in time too with the footage. So like some of it will be flashbacks like to when his aunt was young in, in, in order to sort of explore his aunt's mindset and where she came from and her upbringing. And it'll like jump to like when he was a kid. So he hires this other kid to play him as a, as a young person. It's really kind of incredible. It's really entertaining too. I saw the uh, beastie boys story, which is the documentary that uh, directed by spike Jones, which is that's available on Apple TV plus. And right now Apple TV plus is free. So there's no subscription required or anything. So you can watch this now for free. Basically, uh, I think it was last year, Beastie Boys did a two-night show in Brooklyn where they kind of, they translated their book, the, the coffee table book, the Beastie Boys book. They translated that into like a show and Spike Jones directed it. And this is a recording from the second show that they did. And it's tr- it's truncated, so this is two hours long, uh, and the actual show was like four hours long. So it was so. While I would say that this does cover a lot of the history of the Beastie Boys, it it skips over some things. Like it doesn't get into as much detail as maybe I would have liked. I I would like to see just the full untruncated version, but may, I, I guess I can understand why a lot of people would want to see a shorter version of it either way yeah. either way it's it's funny it's heartfelt it's if you're a fan of the beastie boys i would say this is a no-brainer to check this out it's quite good and i'm a big fan of the beastie boys so oh yeah um i saw blood sucking freaks from 1976 this is directed by joel m reed uh this was part of joe bob's last drive-in which came back this weekend on shutter uh, if you're not familiar, Joe Bob Briggs is a he's a horror host and he had he did this like marathon uh like maybe it was over a year ago. It was it was a while ago on Shutter and the 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 marathon was such a rousing success that they he ended up doing like two more marathons over different holidays and then they just gave him a show and the second season started what the what the show is is it's a double feature every Friday night and he hosts these uh, two movies, two horror movies and gives us all this information about it and has guests on. And it's really, it's really great. And I, so this, this week it was chopping mall. I love chopping mall. I have, I have chopping mall on, on Blu-ray and I revisit that quite a bit. I love movies that take place in malls, especially eighties movies that take place in malls. So there, there, there was a lot. Yeah. There is something about them. There's just something about that location. Yeah, I just I love it. Something comforting about it. I don't know what it is, but anyway, uh, Blood Sucking Freaks was the second movie, and I never saw this before. I was aware of it, and because of my awareness of it, I knew that I just this was not going to be one that I wanted to see. But because it was on Last Drive In, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to sit through this and see see what happens. And it's it's pretty bad. So this is essentially about this guy who has this thing called the theater of the macabre in New York. And it's basically a theater show where he gets 
women and tortures them on stage and everybody thinks that it's fake but it's not it's real and it just kind of goes from there it's really bad and (laughs) i can't really recommend it it there's some it it all looks very fake i mean because it's obviously very low budget and being 1976 the effect the special effects weren't quite you know what what they became in the 80s when like tom savini and and like rick baker started killing it with effects uh but yeah. it's still a pretty <clears throat> unpleasant movie nonetheless it's definitely one of these movies that it just tries to go out of its way to sh- to shock you and be as depraved as possible you see them mm. playing they play backgammon and they're using women's fingers to bet with like chips so they're like chopping off their fingers and using them as like poker chips to bet with on backgammon there's a scene probably the most infamous scene is when this doctor uh, shaves this woman's head and drills a hole in her head and then sticks a straw in and drinks like her brain fluid out of her head and it just goes on from there so uh yeah i can't really recommend blood sucking freaks it's there's just not a lot here There's, there's really nothing redeeming about it it's on movie too by the way so if you if you don't have shutter oh, yeah, that's right. that's right. if you don't have shutter and when you first said it, i was like i mean sounds familiar yep on movie 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 and shutter yep one or the other uh, i think that's it oh i did see bad black i never saw bad black before this oh, yeah this is a bacallywood movie i i saw who killed captain alex wonderful yeah, never saw Bad Black, so I was like, you know what? Let me go ahead and do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull the trigger on this. This is on Amazon Prime, by the way. So if you, if you have Prime, you can watch Bad Black on there. Uh, if if you saw Captain Who Killed Captain Alex, I think Bad Black is pretty much much the same. I mean, there's not as many like big action moments in it, but the ones that are here, pretty pretty good. I enjoyed it for the most part. I, I think it's the inclusion of VJ Emmy in this i never know how to feel about it because he narrates or does the i don't know what you want to call it the the hype it's like the color commentary yeah like the commentary he he does that in who killed captain alex too and I, i just i never know how to feel about it because there were times while i was watching bad black and i was trying to imagine what it would be like without his commentary and i'm like you know, this would be like not nearly as grating or mm, kind of silly if his commentary wasn't in there. Like it, it, I think that it would feel a lot more professional without the commentary. But then on the other hand, some of the stuff he said was just absolutely incredible. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the, like, the one when he, when he goes, this doctor needs borders. <laughs> it's so <laughs> funny. It's been a while since I've seen this movie, but now that I know that it's on Amazon Prime, I yeah, I watched this back in 2017. I think, um, I think, uh, oh yeah, the uh, the other the the other funny line that he says is when he's talking about Bad Black, he goes, "You'd be mad." Oh no, he was talking about uh, the the doctor, the white guy, and I think his name was like Alan, and he goes. Uh, you'd be mad too if you could only act in Uganda. <laughs> uh, at any rate, I 
I definitely would recommend checking out Bad Black. I think uh, Who Killed Captain Alex is also on Amazon. It's just, it's fun. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I really I there's a documentary that was supposed to screen at South by about these guys, and I really want to see it. I'm I'm trying to get a get a hold of it and figure out like what what the deal is with this documentary when it's coming out. Uh, but I, I, you just have to love the ambition that these people have, mm-hmm. like so ambitious. They're so dedicated to, to putting these movies out and you, you have to have a lot of respect for them. And if you want to support them, they sell, they sell all their movies on their website and the money goes directly to them. And they sell like t-shirts and stuff too. I bought, I bought a t-shirt and that's what made me want to finally watch bad black because I got a t-shirt a Hollywood t-shirt and they sent me like a signed photo and stuff. And it's just, it's really great. And I, I love supporting these guys and what they do. Yeah. Love it. All right. Let's take a look at what we have on VOD this week on the 28th. We have until the birds return. We have this, the source of shadows. It looks like a horror movie. We have the incoherence. Uh, looks like a comedy of some sort. We have autism, the sequel, which is there was uh, when was that 2006 HBO put out a, an, a movie called autism, the musical, which was a documentary. And this, this uh, revisits the same characters checks in with them, sees what they're up to. Now I've uh, got 15 years reawakened. Evil has been summoned. The horror movie. No, no, no. On the 29th, we have The Engineer Imagines. This is a virtual theatrical release. It's a documentary about uh, the guy who did the Sydney Opera House. Peter Wright. Yes, that's it. And on the 30th, we have Dangerous Lies. That's going to be on Netflix. And then on the on May 1st, we have Liberté. That's going to be a virtual theatrical release as well. We have All Day and a Night. That's going to be on Netflix. We have Bull. It's got uh, Rob Morgan in it and Amber Harvard. Oh. Mm-hmm. We have The Flood. This is uh, looks like some kind of action action movie. Got 5G Zombies. We have The Infiltrators. That's going to be another virtual theatrical release. I think Oscilloscope maybe is putting that out. Uh, Our Mothers. That is also virtual theatrical. Uh, we have Deerskin. That's the new Quentin Dupio. We'll be talking about that next week. Yeah. That is also that is also a virtual theatrical release. And that looks like that's about it for VOD. Let's take a look at what we have on Blu-ray. Just one of the guys from 1985. Remember that movie? Just one of the guys. That was one that played on, I want to say Comedy Central all the time. Oh my God! Yes. Do you remember she? It was about a. I think she was a journalist, and she went undercover as a guy in high school. <laughs> oh my! Oh my! Uh, Malabimba from 1979 is coming out. That's going to be on Vinegar Syndrome, I believe. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark from 1988. That's going to be an Arrow release. Deadline from 1984. That's also Vinegar Syndrome. The Lost Continent from 1968. Guns Akimbo from earlier this year. 
We have The Wind from 1986. That is also on Arrow. Radio Flyer from 1992. I remember that one. I remember mm-hmm. Radio Flyer. Elijah Wood. My Girl 2 from 1994. It looks like they're releasing a Bad Boys collection. that has all three of them. Dolly Dearest from 1991. The original My Girl from 1991 is getting a Blu-ray release also. Butt Boy is coming out. And The Incoherence. And that's about it. What about Criterions this week? Oh, we got two. Two Criterions. Both contemporary picks here. We got the Grand Budapest Hotel. Getting the old Criterion. Got a new documentary, new interviews, new video essays, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, we should have a review for that up um, by the time or shortly, shortly after this episode drops. Okay, I'm still I'm still getting through the the bonus supplements on this. There's oh a lot. Boy. There's a lot of really cool um, like booklets and posters and extra things in the package as well. Uh, and then the other one is Miranda July's uh, "Me, You, and Everyone We Know." Getting the Criterion. A bunch of special features on there. A new documentary. Another new documentary from 2017. A little short film that she did. A bunch of stuff. I remember liking it. That movie a lot. I, I do as well. I'm going to have to revisit that one. Mm-hmm. Same. All right. I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, please consider reviewing us on your podcast platform of choice. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. 